Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on X, the former Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. All right, one of my more astute followers gave me the idea for this episode, which is to handicap where I expect the battles to be waged down the stretch as teams jockey over the last third of the season to qualify for the play-in tournament or avoid the play-in tournament by nabbing one of the top six seeds or for the elite teams in both conferences securing one of the top four seeds and home court advantage for at least the first round. This is going to be taking a look essentially at where I see the season ending up and who is going to be where going into the playoffs, who's going to qualify for the playoffs. Now, what I found most interesting about this exercise is, and by the way, thank you, Frank. uh, The most interesting thing about the exercise is that while the standings would suggest the competition for all of those levels is more or less wide open, unless a team or two has a dramatic change in form, there are really only a couple of spots where we could see some sort of massive change. Let's start at the top of the Eastern Conference, where the Boston Celtics have the top tier all to themselves. Going into the weekend, it's they were six games ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the standings. Second place, Cleveland. I don't see anyone making a charge at Boston, least of all the Cavs. Looking at how Cleveland climbed into the number two spot, it's hard to believe that they can even hold on to it. They've had the fourth easiest schedule so far, and they have gotten absolutely fat off of losing teams. They're 23-2 and against teams below 500, 13-16 against teams with more wins than losses. 17 of their last 28 games, keep in mind, are against winning teams. And that includes the 76ers, who they lost to 
going into the weekend on Friday. Now, they are just getting back to full strength, and Donovan Mitchell did sit out the Philly loss with an ankle issue. So maybe those reinforcements change the metrics. Maybe their record would be a little bit better against winning teams. But as of right now, looking at their remaining schedule and how they've performed to date, the best bet is that they slide. Now, how far? Well, the good news for Cavs fans is that there aren't a whole lot of teams that look poised to make a blazing finish. I would expect the Bucks, for all their stumbling since hiring Doc Rivers to replace Adrian Griffin, will at least maintain their current winning percentage, which would give them a total of 51 wins. And that's one more reason to doubt that the Cavs keep up their current pace. Because their current pace would give them 55 wins. The Cavs have won 55 games or more only five times in the franchise's 54 seasons. And the last time was in 2016 when they upset the Warriors for the title, when LeBron James was still wearing a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform. Now, I could see the Knicks, the New York Knicks, inching past the Cavs as well, but that's about it, and that's not a guarantee. Uh, It means that the Cavs would hang on to first-round home court advantage, and there may even be some jockeying there as far as who's in the fifth spot, who's in the sixth spot, who they might want want to see. And it should not go unnoticed, by the way, that the Knicks have also feasted on subpar teams, going 22-2 and against them and 12-20 and against winning teams. And that was, again, going into the weekend. Now, it did stumble into the break, but that was without OG Ananobi and Julius Randle, and while still trying to incorporate their acquisitions from the Pistons, Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. But if you if you saw their game on Saturday night against the Celtics, they just you can see where they are a good team. They play hard. They're they're not going to lose a whole lot of games that they should win, as evidenced by their record against losing teams. But they also don't have the kind of firepower where they can go up against the absolute elite teams. I'm a big Jalen Brunson fan. I think he's a tremendous story, a tremendous success story. I think he's a reflection of how, if you know how to play the game, you can overcome size or speed or any physical disadvantages. But there's a, there's a certain limit to that when you go up against the teams or you go against, against teams led by players who do have the size, who do have the speed, and, do, and, and also know how to play the game. I want to see the Knicks once they get Ananobi and Julius back. Maybe that's enough to lift them up and make them competitive against the best teams. But as of right now, it really shouldn't be a surprise when they they get run by a team like Boston. If New York stays where they are, that would give them a first-round matchup with the current fifth-seeded Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I say current because... What happens to Philly depends entirely on when or if Joel Embiid returns. As of now, the earliest he could be back is the last week in March, which would give him about two weeks and 10 games or so to play left in the regular season. 
Whether he comes back at all could depend on where the Sixers are in the standings at that time. Asking him to come back and drag them back into a secure playoff spot means not missing a game and playing 35-plus minutes, potentially. And here's the thing. You can't bring him back and say we're going to go for it and play him and then realize, ah, maybe that's not the best idea. You either commit to you're going for it or you don't. You don't back out. It's, it's go for it or not. And considering his injury history and relative youth, I would not be surprised if we don't see him again this season. So based on how the Sixers have fared since Embiid went down, which is losing 10 of 13 games, they are very capable of sliding into the play-in tournament with the Pacers only two games back and both the Magic and Miami Heat two and a half games back. Now, if Philly does fall, that leaves room for the Magic or Heat to avoid the play-in. And while they made the finals last year by beating the Chicago Bulls for the eighth seed, I don't suspect Miami wants to go that route again. If the first games back from All-Star break are any indication, the league is going to allow a little more physicality in preparation for way the game is played or allowed to be played in the postseason. I had an executive tell me recently from one of my stories that it was going to be a shock to the system that it had to do with the, the lack of defense that was being played in the league or the lack of allowance for defense being played in the league because the referees were calling everything. And he felt like it was really going to disrupt teams when they get to the postseason and suddenly there's way more physicality allowed. And I think the league realized that they were calling it way too close going up into the All-Star game and now they're loosening the reins a little bit. And by loosening the reins, I would say that favors the Heat because... One, Orlando has been living at the line so far this season, at least more so than Miami. And while Orlando is ranked higher defensively, if you're allowed to play physically, if the Heat are allowed to play physically, I think that ratchets up, ratchets up their defense in a way that Orlando, just because of their lack of experience, is not going to be able to accomplish. Veteran teams know how to play physical and get away with it figure out where the refs are going to allow you to play. Athletic, young athletic teams are able to play defense when everything is called because they can just get back and they're depending on their athleticism as opposed to their knowing how to play physical without getting a whistle. I hope that makes sense. So for those reasons... Uh, and more physicality, by the way, more physicality allowed means fewer trips to the charity stripe for everyone, the magic included. That's why I favor the heat, avoiding the play-in and grabbing one of the top six seats over Orlando. I do still expect the magic to make it into the playoffs. They'll just have to do it through the play-in game. Now, that would leave the Sixers and Bulls fighting it out for the other play-in spot. And if Embiid is still out, I'm going with the Bulls, who have already beaten the Sixers two out of three times this season. And I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit in suggesting that the Sixers and Bulls are meeting in the play-in tournament 
and I've got the Bulls beating them for that last playoff spot. Admittedly, I have a soft spot for the Bulls. They could have blown up their team, and they didn't. And blowing it up might have even been the shrewd move to make for the long term. But I'm hard-pressed to bag on anyone, team, individual, whoever, who shows that winning games and trying to make the playoffs still matters to them, no matter where they might be. Now, I'm not in love with how the Bulls are constructed, reflected in the fact that they've probably been better since Zach Levine got hurt and they still owe him $140 million over the next three years. They're going to have to pay, take pennies on the dollar to be able to move him. And by all indications, well, I believe he said it publicly that he t- told Chicago he wants to be moved. So it, it's, it's, I would expect it to happen. And when I look at their team, their main players, Kobe White, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, it just feels like an odd combination of talent talent but a weird mix if you will so whether it's brooklyn toronto or atlanta in the 10th spot i don't see them advancing if i had to pick a team for 10th at this point probably would be brooklyn the players got what they wanted in jacques Vaughn gone the pressure is on them now to show he was holding them back i get no sense that they have internal issues, which I can't say about Atlanta. And Toronto apparently had a rub between Dennis Schroeder and Emmanuel Quickly, which is why Dennis was traded and, and then released, so he's out there available. But I'm going to suspect that the Raptors' chemistry should be improved. I just don't know that I can buy a Scotty Barnes-led team making up four and a half games with less than 30 to go. That just doesn't seem realistic. All right, so let's swing over to the West, where the situation appears a lot more volatile, at least as far as order. Unlike the East, there is no runaway leader up top, and there is no team among the first four that looks particularly vulnerable. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with the Clippers, simply because I'm no longer drinking their Kool-Aid and Kawhi Leonard is on pace to play more games than he has the last five seasons, as is Paul George. So what are the chances that they hold, hold up, that they both hold up all the way to the finish? I also, in general, just don't love how their intensity waxes and wanes so dramatically over the course of a game. There's not a whole lot of consistency. When they're good, they're really good. But then they just have some mystifying quarters and games where all of that talent or that performance that you thought, oh man, these guys are for real, makes you question, why why did I think that? Like, (laughs) where did that go? Resilience and consistency are muscles that players and teams build over the course of time, over the course of a season. That's why when, when teams hit a bump in the road, it doesn't necessarily, and they, they lose a few in a row, it doesn't mean that they're, that they're necessarily headed in the wrong direction. It's how they respond to that that is the determining, determining factor and what they're going to do in the big picture. And with the Clippers... 
have just they've never been dedicated to developing those muscles of resilience and consistency they they have a very much or they've very much been a flip the switch type team or having the mentality that they're capable of doing that and when they flip it they are pretty damn good but they believe that they can flip that switch when whenever it's needed and that's simply not the case teams playing their best maybe not their best playing their hardest nose to the grindstone are still going to lose games they're still going to go through rough patches but it's a matter of are you continuing to work hard do you always work hard and do you just get beat by a, a better team or a night when your shot's just not falling that's not what the clippers are the clippers still do it to themselves either with their decision making their shot selection which sort of fits under the umbrella of decision making or just their general energy and effort now can a team like that make the playoffs absolutely several of those type teams are going to make the playoffs do i expect a team like that to make a deep run or god forbid come out of the western conference no chance now, the team I don't see holding on to their spot are the fifth-seeded New Orleans Pelicans. And their Friday loss to the Miami Heat illustrates why. Yes, C.J. McCollum only played 15 minutes before hurting his ankle, but he was one for seven and struggling before he left. They, guys can always have a turnaround, but generally, when you see a matchup and you say, this is a very good matchup, that was the case for C.J. in this game. Brandon Ingram did not suit up at all because of an illness. Another consideration. But they still had Zion Williamson. They still had Jonas Valanciunas and Herb Jones. And, maybe most important, were within four early in the fourth quarter when a fight broke out that resulted in the Pelicans' Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado being ejected and Jimmy Butler and Thomas Bryant for the Heat getting tossed. Uh, the fracas began after Kevin Love bear-hugged Zion to keep him from dunking, and Williamson fell to the floor. Najee took exception. Najee and Jimmy were literally at each other's throats, and that's how it uh, evolved. Now, this happened on the New Orleans Pelicans' home floor, and the crowd was geeked up over the, over the incident playoff like atmosphere howling and the pelicans should have been able to ride that emotional wave and take down the heat the miami heat not an overly talented overly blessed not a dominating team and the pelicans had the emotional wave in a big way down four instead miami methodically outworked them after the incident holding them to 15 points over the final 12 minutes. And a big part of it was the limitations of Zion's game. They were just all too evident, particularly down the stretch. The Heat discovered that if they met Zion at the rim with verticality, he couldn't hurt them. He's not going to hit any mid-ranges. Can, you can see him try to dance on somebody, and then when he realizes, I, ca I can't get there, or it's a little too crowded, uh, I can't get to the rim, he generally just 
kicks it to somebody else. Here, this ain't mine. I can't get this. It might come back to him, and then he might might take another stab at going to the rim. But he's going to the rim. It's the only place he's looking to score from on any sort of consistent basis. And so, if you play straight up D, if you're allowed a little physicality, Zion cannot hurt you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And especially if you don't have a Brandon Ingram or CJ McCollum out there who can knock down an open range shot. But then again, both of those guys are not particularly great catch-and-shoot guys. So it's one of the challenges that the Pelicans have. They either put the ball in Zion's hands or they put it in Brandon Ingram's hands. Or they let C.J. McCollum run the show. But they have to pick and choose. It's not an ideal. Their, Their games don't fit ideally together. Now, Bam Adebayo, on the other hand, can score at the rim. He's got a little mid-range jumper. Uh... He can do some things, and, and he can roll to the basket and, and finish on a lob. He had 12 points on 6 of 11 shooting and 4 rebounds in the fourth quarter, while Zion had 5 points on 2 for 7 shooting, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists. Zion finished, it looks like a great box score. 23 points, 9 rebounds. Those are a lot of rebounds for him. He's generally not that good of a rebounder. 23 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Solid, right? I mean, sort of poor man's triple-double. He was a minus 23 in plus-minus overall. It is hard to be that productive offensively, to have those kind of offensive numbers, and be that much of a deficit on defense that when you're on the floor, your team is outscored by 23 points. And yet, Zion found a way and that's why i have the pelicans sliding into the play-in tournament now who is moving up this may be prisoner of the last two weeks but i have the dallas mavericks securing a playoff spot outright along with the phoenix suns now i expected the suns to be the nuggets biggest adversary in returning to the finals But I've come off that because that was on the premise that Yusuf Nurkic, brought over from Portland, would be motivated to provide the desperately needed toughness and rim protection that he did not provide the Blazers, at least not on a consistent basis. This was his chance to show it was them, not me, for the Blazers' postseason shortcomings. He's got Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal next to him. Like, all you got to do is defend, rebound, set screens, be physical, be, be our solid big man. And I just haven't seen it. He may be softer now than he was in Portland. I'm inclined to agree with Draymond Green. Nurkic is a 300-pound softie, a seven-foot finesse player, if you want to put it in nicer terms. 
only without the vision and scoring ability of a Nikola Jokic, which is what makes finesse acceptable from a big man. And Jokic at this point is, this wasn't when they, they, they there was a time where, you're, uh, don't forget, uh, Nurk and, and Jokic were teammates in Denver. And I would say at that time that Nurk was the more physical of the two. But a lot has happened. Jokic's game has evolved by leaps and bounds. And to be honest, I don't know that Nurk's has. I don't know if it's regressed, but it really hasn't evolved. Certainly nowhere near as much as Jokic's has, obviously. And I would like how he's played the whole Draymond Green situation. It was one thing for him to say what he said after Draymond sort of backhanded him, swinging wildly, ended up getting, what, the 11-12 game suspension. And for those who may not be aware, they've played since then. Uh, Phoenix losing on a last-second three-pointer by Steph that 113-112 on their home floor. And there was another incident between Draymond and Nurk in that game. But his complaining after that most recent encounter about Draymond not having learned his lesson sort of rang hollow, especially coming after a blown lead and a last-second one-point loss. And it wasn't the same sort of situation or incident that Nurk was complaining about. Nowhere near to what the original that res resulted in Draymond getting suspended. Not even close. And so this is the problem. The Suns simply have too much go-to talent in my mind in Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal not to finish ahead of the Pelicans in the standings. I, I just There's too much pressure on them to not finish stronger than they've shown to this point, I'll be honest. like They're another team that's had a very cushy schedule and hasn't made the most of it. Now, all bets are off when it comes to the postseason. For all the firepower that the Suns have, they have had an amazing ability not to close games. I couldn't find the exact stat, but I believe they lead the league in losses after leading at halftime, or they certainly did at one point. And with a team like the Suns, built like the Suns, with closers like Booker, Durant, and Beal, the idea that you can't hold on to a lead or you can't close games well enough in the second half is problematic. Indicator of something bigger amiss. Now, all of that, all of that with the Suns and the Mavericks, of course, means there's two teams that I haven't mentioned yet. Los Angeles Lakers, Golden State Warriors. And it would mean that both of them are going to be left in the play-in tournament. Now, both have gained some momentum of late, particularly the Warriors, but their early struggles leave them no margin for error. And I, we do this with teams like the Warriors and the Lakers. We've seen them, regardless of where they are in the standings, make a run, where they are in the standings, be a tough out in the postseason. We think of... of they just need to capture the old magic and, and, and away they go. Well, at some point, that runs out. At some point, you just age out. At some point, 
the young talent coming up is no longer intimidated by you and they've learned enough lessons that they're not going to let you jump over them. The other problem the Warriors have, and they're coming from further behind than the Lakers at this point, at least coming out of the break, but their early struggles not only leave them no margin for error, but the schedule is doing them no favors. Now, last year, they squeezed into the sixth seed by winning eight of their last 10 games. And again, it's why I don't blame Warriors fans for being skeptical about my skepticism, <laughs> suggesting uh, never say never. Have you not learned your lesson? The Warriors are going to surprise you. Well, okay, maybe they will again. But they needed to win eight of their last 10 games to get into the sixth seed. And the bar was set historically low. They only needed 44 wins overall, which is a 537 winning percentage. That is an aberration for sliding into the sixth seed. The previous three seasons, the sixth seed had a winning percentage of 583 or higher, which translates to 48 wins. Now, for the Warriors to reach that, they would have to win 19 of their last 27 games. And 15 of those games are on the road, where they have been barely over 500. Four games are against the current top four in the East, and two are against top four Western teams. And they also play the Red Hot Mavs, who are outside the top four three more times. Again, the Warriors have demonstrated the ability to finish strong, and they have publicly made it known they are gunning for sixth. And their season-long experiment in figuring out their starting lineup and rotation seems to have landed where they've, they've made the move. Klay Thompson is coming off the bench. Pajemski and Jonathan Kaminga are in the starting lineup. Uh, so they've found a way along with Andrew Wiggins, Stephen Curry, and, uh, and Kavon Looney. So they found, they found their starters, their starting lineup, and they appear to be clicking. And if it was just going 19, what, 19 and 8 over the last 27 games, I'd say, yeah, I could see them doing that. But not with 15 of those games on the road and six of them against top four teams in either conference, along with three against the Mavs who I just, again, Mavs are gunning for the same thing. And they happen to have a head start. The Lakers' chance of moving past a number of teams and into the sixth spot is actually considerably better. They have three teams to leapfrog. The Kings, Suns, and Mavericks. But their schedule is problematic as well. They have three more back-to-back -back sets of games, and they have a total of eight games left against top four teams in either conference. And they, too, seem to have found a starting lineup that works. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, and D'Angelo Russell. But Davis is the key to that working defensively. Hachimura, as a wing defender with Reeves and D'Lo, offers mismatches galore for the opposition. And if LeBron doesn't play back-to-backs as he didn't in the first back-to-back -back since the break, 
which resulted in the Lakers splitting the two games, that poses another challenge. I only say that the Lakers' chances of moving up are considerably better than the Warriors because they're starting from a better place with a better record. I'm giving the Kings, I've said a whole lot about the Sacramento Kings, because who they play and who is healthy offers little indicator of how they're going to play. I'm not going to try to analyze them because they defy being analyzed. They will wallop the defending champs, the Denver Nuggets, and then lose to the worst team in the league, the Pistons, practically within the same week. And what's really crazy is they were the best offensive team in the league last year, and they're 14th this year. Their defense has improved somewhat, but all of this is happening with the exact same rotation. I think they're going to be a challenge for the Lakers to outperform down the stretch. But who knows, really? In general, the Kings, Suns, and Mavericks all have youth on their side at least as far as their core players are concerned, versus the Lakers and the Warriors, who are older. That kind of experience serves you well once you get into the postseason, and maybe in a game here or there. But over the stretch of the final 25 to 30 games, I like the youth being able to deal with the grind at the end of the year. The good news, if it can be called that, for the Warriors and the other top nine, ten, uh, excuse me, top nine teams, is that there is no one that looks like a threat to crash the party. The Utah Jazz are the eleventh place team. They've lost eight of their last ten games and are, last I checked, were a full four games behind the Warriors. Again, that's a lot to make up. They're basically the Toronto Raptors of the West. Now, there is. There is one more item I want to address before I go. And that's the preposterous question posed by ESPN the other night asking how Minnesota Timberwolves star Anthony Edwards stacks up against Michael Jordan. This was pregame. Maybe it was halftime. I had the game muted. So I don't know when they talked about it, if they talked about it. I just saw it on the crawl at the bottom. I don't know what to say. Uh, By the way, Timberwolves got smashed. Anthony Edwards and the Timberwolves got smashed by the Milwaukee Bucks that night. And Edwards, to his credit, has asked that such comparisons not be made. Why, Why they would compare it now, I have no idea. I can't help but see this as, in the big picture, and with apologies to Lauren Hill, the miseducation of fans by ESPN. Are they really that starved for topics that they need to pose something that can be answered as simply as this? Anthony Edwards is in no way close to Jordan. There is nothing to compare. Not in fundamentals, not in defending, not in decision-making, not in crunch time execution. It's flat-out irresponsible to even pose the question as if there is a question to be answered. And it's unfair to to Ant because there's plenty to love about Anthony Edwards. And I think he can grow into a superstar. But he's so far from that. And he's so far from, I mean, we're talking about 
Michael Jordan. Why are we? Why would we ever make that comparison? What concerns me about the Timberwolves is that they are so heavily dependent on the IQ and floor management by point guard Mike Conley and, to a lesser but still meaningful extent, Kyle Anderson. It's why the Timberwolves just gave Conley a two-year extension at age 36, in case you were wondering. Because they know without him that uh, Anthony Edwards is not going to be as effective. He's fearless, Edwards is. And I give him credit for that. And he is as dynamic as any player in the league. But all that gets him into trouble at times with the game on the line. His shot selection in close games is still incredibly iffy. Let the man learn and grow before putting his name in the same sentence as the all-time closer, competitor, and winning two-guard the game has ever seen. Please. All right. That does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Recast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, feel free to throw out some podcast episode ideas. I generally know where I want to go and I'm focused on the events or incidents that uh, grab my attention or topics, but I am always open to ideas as I was given one by Frank, and it was a great one. I have a feeling I'm probably going to get a couple more from him. So I'm opening the door to anybody else who would like to participate or contribute. But that's it for this episode. And where I'm going next, well, I'm going to have to ask Frank. I'm going to have to talk it over with him or one of you. We'll see. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.